Life podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. We're going to have a little family talk here this morning. Um, Hopefully it'll be a help and a blessing to you. And, you know, one of the things that we have to remember as, as believers in Christ that, uh, you know, we're all here, uh, for us here that know Christ, we are family, and uh, we are here to encourage, help, edify, and uh, strengthen each other uh, with the Word. And uh, the things that I'm going to give you here this morning, even though they may sound um, difficult... I, I want you to rest assured that the things that we're going to talk about this morning, uh, hopefully they are a help to you, because I want to encourage you and help you to live for Christ, and I hope that that would be your prayer as well for my life as well, that uh, I would live for Christ and walk in holiness and walk in truth. So uh, let's look here, Colossians chapter number 2, and we've been looking at these uh, verses, uh, and we kind of left you hanging uh, last week about this whole thing about uh, how to live a godly life. And uh, what we looked at here, verse uh, number 20, Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, verse number 20, he says, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, he says, why, why do you... um, If you were still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? He says, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. He says, referring to the things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And so we looked uh, last week about this failed attempt to trying to be godly, and these false teachers were promoting this idea saying, if you want to be godly, if you want to have control over your flesh, if you want to live a life uh, that is going to be pleasing to God, then you are going to have to do these rules that we have set up, which is basically just self-made religion. It's asceticism. It's this denying of the body in order to stop the indulgence of the flesh. And Paul admits, he says, these rules had the appearance of wisdom, but he adds they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And we spent some time looking at that difference between that asceticism and biblical discipline that these false teachers were emphasizing. They stressed those ideas of men and were not uh, stressing the principles of God's word. They were adding to God's word, creating all these extra commands to follow uh, in order for them to try to be godly. But really it led to pride and self-indulgence. And so if rule-keeping is not the answer to living a life that is pleasing to God, then what is? And this is where we kind of left off, and I told you that we must be identified with Jesus Christ. And that's Paul's whole main thrust of verse number 20 there. Uh, He says, if with Christ you died. And so we must be identified with Christ in his death. And that's the answer 
to our sinful desires and keeping our bodies in check uh, with the reality of God's word is what it says that if with Christ we have died. Now remember, Paul is not stressing here and saying, uh, asking, well, if you did die or if you didn't die, he's stating the obvious because these are believers. He said, if with Christ you have died, and he says, I want you to consider the implications of what that means. Understand that if you have died with Christ, this is what it means to have died with Christ. And so this is what I'd like for you to take away with you this morning. Our union with Christ in his death and resurrection is the foundation for separation from sin and walking in newness of life. Our union with Christ in his death and resurrection is the foundation for separation from sin and walking in newness of life. The key phrase here, Colossians 2.20, if with Christ you died. In fact, uh, Colossians 3, 1 through 4, Paul begins talking about that corresponding truth that we have been resurrected with Christ uh, and so that our life is now hidden with Christ in God. So what does it mean to have died with Christ? We're going to look at another passage here in uh, Romans chapter number 6 now. And there's a lot here in Romans 6. I, I don't claim to know everything that it teaches. Um, there is a lot of depth here in Romans 6. We're not going to dive into it too deep, but I just want to kind of hit the highlights here. And I just want to give you exactly what Paul states as what it means to have died with Christ. And so if you have your Bible, I encourage you to follow along as we look at this text, as we expound on Paul's statement here, if you have died with Christ. And I want to give you those implications of what they mean. And I think it's important to look here and to know that Paul's aim is that we would live in victory over sin. I mean, let's be honest, this past week, did you live in victory over sin? Did you overcome or were you overcome? Which one? Uh, if, if we're all honest, more than likely we were overcome by sin. Um, perhaps, maybe uh, you as a, as a believer in Christ, you live in a pattern of sin. Uh, it might be a hidden sin, something that nobody else knows about. And it's something that seems to really wreak havoc in your life and uh, you... Uh, tend to go into those sinful patterns over and over and over, and you don't seem to have any victory over it. Well, Paul's aim here is he wants us to understand that as believers in Christ, if with Christ you have died, you can live in victory over sin. You don't have to live in that sinful habit, that sinful pattern uh, that we sometimes find ourselves in. And so he tells us that Christ's death and resurrection not only pays the penalty for our sin, but it really is the answer that we need to overcome sin on a daily basis. And so if we desire godliness in our life, then we must be identified with Christ and his death. So let's take a look here in Romans 6. Now it's going to give us this uh, full understanding of what it means to uh, die with Christ. And I admit, even though I've memorized these things, I've maybe spent some time in uh, Romans 6, I still have a hard time grasping what Paul is saying here. 
And so as if we walk through this text together, uh, you're going to leave here a little uh, kind of, I, I st- I'm still having a hard time grasping that. I want you to know that you're in good company, okay? Because the reality of what Paul states here is a reality for us who know Christ as our Savior. I think some of the times that we have a hard time with this is that we throw in this word and we say, but I don't feel that way. Okay? We, we might say things like, well, I don't feel that I have been crucified with Christ. Well, we got to remember that facts are what matters, not our feelings. Okay? We can't live by our feelings. That's the problem with our world today. People are living by their feelings and say, I feel a certain way, so therefore that must be true, okay? That's not true. We have to live in the reality and the facts of what God's Word says as to be true of our life. And so we need to chew and we need to meditate on what uh, Paul says here in Romans 6. And I I encourage you, we're only going to hit the highlights here, but I encourage you to really read this out for yourself and study it on your own. Now notice as we read through this text here in Romans 6, how many times the word death, died, dead, is going to be used. Uh, In Scripture, death always means separation. It never means cessation. We are separated from this life when we die. We don't cease to exist, okay? We're just separated from this life. When a person dies, they, they either go to heaven or they go to hell. That's it, okay? There's no limbo. There's no in-between. There's none of that, okay? And so we are separated from this life, but yet we still, cease to, we, we still exist somewhere. And so when uh, Scripture talks about death, we are separated And so when Paul says you died, he means that we died from the law, we are separated from the law's jurisdiction so that it no longer condemns us. He'll later go on to explain that in Romans 7 if you want to study that out for yourself. And so Paul is stressing that we have been separated from the old nature, the old life of sin, and these statements are facts, they are not feelings. So let's read this, Romans chapter 6, verse 1, number uh, Uh, verses 1 through 4 here. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? So Paul here is proving that our union with Jesus Christ is completely opposed to a life of continuing sin. Rather, our identification with Christ and his death and resurrection frees us from slavery to sin and allows us to walk in newness of life. That's his whole point here, as he's trying to say. Um, so Paul knows that we're prone to, for, to forget these truths, right? That's why he spends so many times reminding us that we have died to sin. You have died to sin. You've died with Christ. You've died with Christ. So live this way. Walk this way. And that's something that we need to continually remind ourselves as well. Look at verses 3 through 4. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so he says that our baptism pictured the spiritual union that we have with Christ in his death and resurrection. Uh, with that practical result that we might now walk in this newness of life uh, that we are supposed to be walking in. And so this baptism happens, this moment of salvation, the moment that we believe in Christ, we are 
baptized into the body and death of Jesus Christ. Uh, we do practice water baptism, but that is just a symbol of what should have already happened inwardly inside. Uh, water baptism does not save you. Water baptism does not make you right with God. It does not secure your way into going to heaven. It's just a picture, a symbol of what should have already happened inwardly. Uh, verse number five that we're going to look at here, Paul is now going to make a statement and he will expound on that statement in the following verses through verse number 11. And so uh, from verses 5 through 11 is where we're going to really spend most of our time to grasp this reality of our union with Christ, that we have died with Christ, and to consider the implication of what that means. And so we can have power over sin and not live in a life and walk in sin uh, anymore. So let's take note here. First of all, number one, if you have died with Christ, overcome sin through the likeness of his death. Verse 5 here. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And so verse 5 here supports and explains verse 4 with the opening word there. For, right? For. Um, if we become united with him, we will certainly also uh, be uh, raised in the likeness of his resurrection. Now look at verses uh, 6 through 7 there. Paul is going to expound on the first half of verse number 5, um, showing that we have become united with Christ in his death so that we might no longer be slaves to sin. Verses uh, 8 through 10, he will expound on the second half of the phrase there in verse number 5 showing that we also live with Christ, and he explains the implications of Christ's death and resurrection so that we will understand further of what that union really is supposed to mean. But then, in verse number 11, he sums it all up and he says, okay, now I've told you what it means to die with Christ. I've told you what it means, uh, how to be resurrected to new life and to live in him and walk in newness of life. And verse number 11, he says, let's put it all together. This is how you're supposed to live then, okay? So the first part of verse 5 here states the fact that we believers have become united with Christ in the likeness of his death. Now notice that word if there. He's not expressing doubt. Could be translated as sense. Uh, verses 6 and 7 go on to explain this further. He says, we know... That our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. That's a reality. That's truth. Paul says this is true. For those who know Christ as their Savior, you have been set free and you should no longer be enslaved to sin because you have died with Christ. You've been united with him in his death. And so Paul is talking about the knowledge of what God has revealed, not the knowledge that we gain by this personal experience. In other words, you will never feel crucified with Christ. It is something that you must believe because God's word says so. It's kind of like this. Uh, 
You know, uh, God's Word tells us that we are forgiven. Do you feel that you are forgiven? Some of us feel very, very guilty. Some of us feel, I, I don't feel forgiven. I don't feel like this has actually happened in my life. But God's Word is true. So who are we going to believe? Are we going to believe our feelings or are we going to believe the Word of God, which has authority and has power? We believe the Word of God. That's what it says. Now notice a couple of implications of what Paul says here. Number one, you are united with Him in a death like His. When we trusted in Christ as Savior, we were united to Him. The word means literally to be grown together with or grafted into Christ. In other words, it points to our organic living union with Christ in which we share His resurrection life. But in the first half of verse number 5, the focus is not on sharing His life, but rather in His death. We share in Christ's death. We were united with Christ in His death. You know that old song? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there? I was there. It's a reality. Because if you were there with Christ, you have died with Christ. Okay? So we died. We died in Him. And uh, he, he, he says this, that we saw that in verses uh, 3 and 4, that we died with Him. And so when Christ died, we died in Him. And the structure of this statement is in the perfect tense, meaning that this union was a past action with ongoing results. That's why the gospel is the power of God. The gospel is not just this thing that happened in your life when you believed in Christ and you became a Christian. The gospel is an ongoing result in your life. Yes, it happened here, but the gospel continues to transform you and transform you where you are dying and dying and dying more and more to the old self. And you're being resurrected to the new self. Uh, which is made in the image of God, which is after Christ Jesus. And so we're still being saved. It's an ongoing process uh, as we continue to die to sin and uh, resurrection with Christ and new life. Here's the second thing. Your old life is over and you don't have to obey the desires of the old life. Take a look at verse number 6 and 7. Paul says in verse number 6, he says, We know... That our old self, our old self, this represents what we were in Adam. You can read about that in Romans 5, verses 12 through 19. We're no longer in Adam, but now we are in Christ, who is our life. That's Colossians 3, 4. So when Paul says that our old self was crucified with him, he means that what we were before, we were saved died with Christ. So what we used to be is dead. Our old life is gone. It's over. It's done. It died with Christ. And so this is a complete severance between what we were under the reign of sin and death in Adam and what we have become under the reign of grace to eternal life in Christ. Our old life has ended as crucified implies. Um, when we have funerals or we go to a funeral home, 
that person has died. Their life has been severed from this life. It's been separated. Uh, you don't go up to that person that's uh, there in the casket and ask him if he wants some food. Do you need a drink of water? Are you doing okay today? Their life has ended. It's done. And so Paul's trying to get us to understand that the old self has been crucified. It's gone. It's done with. It's been crucified. It's over. But the problem is, if our old man has been crucified, then why, oh why, do we and you still have this strong desire to sin? That's the problem, isn't it? This strong desire, where does this come from? Well, clearly we still have an old sin nature, sometimes called the flesh. There are some people that believe that once you become a Christian, then you are, uh, can no longer sin. Uh, scripture does not teach that. Uh, I would say that if you believe that, you're in la-la land somewhere. Okay? Uh, let me talk to your wife. We'll see if you still sin or not. Okay? Um, so Paul is trying to get us to understand that this nature, we still have this nature. Um, he says that we have this war that goes on within us, this in, and it's against the indwelling Holy Spirit. That's in Romans 7 and also in Galatians 5.17. Uh, Paul commands us to put off the old man and put on the new man. That's found in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24. And I think a legitimate question that we could ask would be, why do we need to put off the old man if it already has been crucified? Well, in Christ, our old man was crucified positionally. That's a fact. That's a reality. It's been crucified. But practically, that's where the application needs to come into play there. And so, yes, positionally, I have been crucified with Christ. My old self has been crucified. But now I have to apply that practically. And guess what? That means discipline on your part, on my part. We have to live that out every single day of our life. And so we are uh, uh, crucified with Christ. That's a spiritual fact. Just as the fact that I am raised up with Christ and seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you are already seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus? That's what Scripture says, positionally. Now, practically, we haven't gotten there yet, have we? That'll happen when Jesus Christ returns. We will be practically sitting in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. And so, in practice, I have to count it as true by believing it and re, uh, resisting my indwelling old nature when it tempts me to sin. And so, to say that the old man was crucified is really a vivid way of saying that positionally. Its power was broken, but practically, I have to apply that truth to my life. I can remember uh, after I became a Christian, uh, it was probably only saved for maybe six months or so, and my grandfather, who was a, uh, a believer, um, he'd probably been saved probably a good, I don't know, 40, 50 years. And I asked him this question, I said, Grandpa, I mean, you've been saved for 40 years. I mean, do you find now that, that you can, I mean, you have control over the flesh and you don't sin as much anymore? You know what he told me? He says, actually, I find myself sinning more and more often now. 
And that's a reality, right? Like we, just because we've been saved a lot longer doesn't mean that the flesh has now all of a sudden said, okay, okay, finally, I give up, I give up, wave the white flag, it's over. No, um, the flesh is still going to fight hard and uh, it will continue to fight hard for us to uh, try to get us to live in that old sinful lifestyle. And so we got to live this out practically uh, to resist the temptation. Now notice again in the text, Paul says in verse number 6, last part of verse 6, look what he says. In order, so, the, so our old self was crucified, in order for what? That the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Our bodies are the means by which the sins of our hearts eventually manifest themselves. The phrase brought to nothing means to render powerless or inoperative. And so when Paul says that our old man was crucified in order that our body of sin might be brought to nothing, I understand him to mean that when we believe and act upon our new position in Christ, in which our old self was crucified, we will not fulfill or act out the sinful desires that tempt us. We have to live that way. We will no longer be enslaved to sin, is what he says in uh, Uh, verse number six there as well. The power of sin to control us has been broken. Here's a third thing that Paul mentions here about being overcome through sin through the likeness of his death. Positionally in Christ, sin has no jurisdiction over us. Notice verse number seven. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Paul here is explaining what it means to have died with Christ. The idea is that when a person dies, he's done with sin, since we died positionally in Christ. Sin is no jurisdiction over us anymore. We do not have to obey it anymore. And so Paul's point here is very, very clear. In Christ, sin's power over us has been broken. It's done with, positionally. And so when you came to Christ, you cannot hang on to your sin with one hand and while you take hold of Christ with your other hand. You must make a distinct break from sin. This is kind of the same thing, you know, when uh, um, a couple comes uh, to to be married. um, That those, those two people, they are entering into a covenant relationship and they're saying, okay, it's you and me, babe, that's it for the rest of our life. No others, right? There is, there's not a room for me and my girlfriend and you, right? There's not room for me and my boyfriend and you, right? There's a distinct break that says, that's it, it's just you and me. And that's what so we need to remember, too, that when we became a follower of Jesus and we received Christ as our Savior, it's me and the Lord. It's not... Me, the Lord, plus my old life still. We need to make a distinct break from that and say, no, I am now married to the Lord. He, I am under the headship of, of Christ. I am no longer under the headship of Adam, right? But we're now under the headship of Christ. And I submit to Christ. I submit to Him because... He is my Lord. Sin is no longer my Lord. I no longer live under that old pattern, that old self of sin anymore in Adam. And so we should no longer be slaves to sin anymore. 
And so if you claim to be a Christian and yet you are enslaved to sin, one of two things are true. Number one, you are not a Christian. Or number two, at the very least, you do not understand your new position in Christ, that you have died with Christ, and so therefore you need to live that way. And if you were living that way, Paul would probably ask you, is what he said in earlier in verse number two, how shall we who died to sin still live in it? God forbid, right? So now I just gave you the negative aspect of what Paul is saying here. Now let's look at the positive. So secondly, if you have died with Christ, overcome sin through the likeness of his resurrection. Now I'm going to kind of give you a preview here of what Paul will discuss in Colossians 3.1 with the statement, if then you have been raised with Christ. However, you will notice here in Romans 6, Paul is not talking about our resurrected life that we live with Christ now. He's making reference to the future. Now, it is true, yes. There are several verses throughout Scripture that talks about that we have resurrected with Christ now. There's new life in us now. But Paul is talking about a future aspect of that. And uh, you can see it uh, with uh, the words he uses in verses 5 and 8. You are in the future tense, and I'll explain that here in just a moment. And so if we want to overcome sin, we need to know and believe that in the future, you will share in the likeness of his resurrection in the victory over sin. This is explained verse number five, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall be certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Then he goes on to explain that in verse number eight. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him, right? There it is in the future. We will also live with him. So it's true that we are presently risen with Christ, share in his life, but Paul's here is the emphasis on the future, uh, the ex future experience of our bodies where we will have a complete victory over sin. And that's what happens. Uh, you know, when we, when we believe in Jesus, we are saved from the penalty of sin. And as we live this life called progressive sanctification, we are becoming more and more like Christ. We are being saved from the power of sin, saying no to our flesh. Why? Because the flesh has been crucified with Christ. I can say no to that. But then in the future, one day when we receive a new body, we will be saved from the very presence of sin. Okay? And that's going to happen in the future. And so that's something that we can look forward to, and it's wonderful uh, to think about that. So here's how this works. When you face temptation, perhaps maybe in your old life uh, you had a, a past life of, of how you dealt with certain things. Maybe it was uh, through drugs or through alcohol or uh, maybe you, you sought to deal with life's pre uh, pressures through indulging in certain things in the flesh. Maybe that's pornography. Maybe that's some form of sexual temptation. I don't know. But in order for you to deal with the pressures of life, you ran to those things and you said, this is going to satisfy me. This is going to help me cope with life. But now, since you have died with Christ, that old nature has been crucified, and Paul says, you have died. Don't live that way anymore. You have a resurrected life. You've been resurrected to a new life in Christ. And so don't run back to that old temptation of that. What should we be doing? Reminding ourselves that we 
have died with Christ. I am no longer under that headship. I am no longer under that, that rule or that authority of sin any longer because I am in Christ. And I uh, remind myself of that, uh, not to go back to that, that old way of living. And so uh, and Paul says here, that we will also live with him. So not only are we reminding ourselves that we have died, but also there's going to be a future resurrection and I'm going to have a new body. Now why would on earth would I want to dishonor my Lord with that old way of living when I'm going to have a new body and I'm going to be with him? It's a future aspect to look forward to. Paul actually uh, talks about this in verse 21. He says, What benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. And so someday soon you will receive a new resurrection body that cannot sin. And since that is your certain future, why would you want to sin now? That's his point. So don't live that way. So knowing and believing the truth of your present position of sharing in Christ's death and the certain promise of living forever with Him will break that power of sin in your daily life. Now if you're looking for a magic pill, if you're looking for a magic prayer, if you're looking for a, a switch to turn on and off, it doesn't exist. You have to reckon what Paul says here as what he says about our old life has been crucified with Christ. And you need to live that way. You say, but it's hard. Welcome to the Christian life. It's a struggle. That's why Jesus says you must deny yourself. You must take up your cross daily. Right? It's hard, yes. It's very hard. But we can do it. Why? Because we have the power of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. And so we don't need three-step programs, we don't need uh, certain this, certain that, right? We follow Scripture, we follow the truth of what God says, and we live in that reality as truth. You say, but I don't feel that way. Well, again, it's not based upon our feelings, it's based upon factual truth of God's Word. Now, here's another thing we see in verses 9 and 10. If we want to overcome sin, know that Christ's resurrection represents his complete and final victory over sin and death. Take a look at verse number 9. He says here, We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. And now this verse here gives us this reason or this basis that we believe that we will share in Christ's resurrection. You see that word knowing there? Knowing? Right? We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. How do we know that? How do we know that Christ will never die again? Because he's resurrected from the grave, right? And so he says, if you know this, if you know that Christ is resurrected from the grave, then you too can know that you will share in that resurrection. That death will not have any victory over you. Because since we are in him, we too can have victory over sin, the thought is. And so we believe that we will live with Him, with Christ, because we know that He is now beyond the reach of death. 
His resurrection signifies that he will never die again. Death is no longer master over him. Now check out verse number 10. This explains this last phrase of verse number 9. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. When Jesus came to this earth, he submitted himself to the reign of sin and death in the sense that he came to bear our sins on the cross. Jesus himself was not sinful, okay? But he came to bear the sins of us. And in doing so, what did he do? He became the master over it. Death was no longer the master over him. Even though he died, he resurrected from the grave to show that he has power over death, show that power over sin, and he can reign forever now. And he is the master over that. And so his death on the cross was a decisive once and for all satisfaction of God's wrath. That's found in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 27, Hebrews 9, 12, and also Hebrews 10, 10. And so his victory over sin and death was complete. His resurrection put all the tares of sin and death behind him once and for all. And now, what? The life he lives, he lives to who? God. And so what are we supposed to do? Follow the same pattern. We've been crucified with Christ. The body of sin has been crucified. It's been resurrected to new life. What are we supposed to be doing now? Living unto God, not ourselves. Not that old nature, right? We yield ourselves over to God. We yield our bodies to God. We don't yield our members as members of unrighteousness to sin. What are we supposed to be doing? Yielding our members as righteousness to God and allow Him to use that. And so we can have this complete and total victory over sin as well. So the thought in verses 9 and 10 is that Christ's death and resurrection completely and finally conquered sin and death. And the promise that we will one day share completely in this victory gives us this desire and power to overcome sin right now. So let me ask you a question. As family, are you satisfied in Jesus? Are we satisfied with Jesus? If so, then why are we continuing to desire sin? Because either Jesus is so, so wonderful and so brings us so much satisfaction that we no longer need the old life, or he doesn't. I find in my, in my own life, I'm being honest with you, I find in my own life that when I desire other things other than Jesus, I am saying, that I do not, and I am not satisfied with Jesus. That I am more satisfied with the indulgence of my flesh and what the flesh wants. Because for some weird reason, I think it's going to bring me pleasure, fulfillment, contentment, ease. Put, put whatever you want to put in there. But what does it actually bring? Death. That's all it brings. Sin always brings death. It never brings anything else but death. And so we've got to ask ourselves that question. Are we satisfied with Jesus? Now by this point, you're probably really confused or you're thinking, all right, enough with all this uh, theoretical stuff here. Let's get to the practical side of things. And so Paul does that in verse number 11. Let's look at the last thing here. 
If you have died with Christ, overcome sin by living in the truth of being dead to sin and alive to God. Verse number 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Verse number 11 here is actually a command. And what's interesting to note, did you know that if you read through Romans 1 through 6, Paul does not list one command whatsoever, not until Romans 6, verse number 11. What is he doing? He is building upon the doctrinal truth of who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and he's trying to get us to understand all of the necessary uh, doctrine of the gospel, of what Jesus has accomplished. And he says, because of all this stuff now, live this way. That's what he says. And so our Christian behavior must rest on solid doctrinal knowledge. This is why I say your theology, what you believe to be true about God, will affect your philosophy and how you live your life. And so if you're not strong doctrinally in understanding what Scripture says, you're going to live all kinds of ways. But if you get your mind wrapped around what Scripture teaches about who Jesus is and what God has done in your life and how He has saved you and how, he is, and how in Christ you have been crucified with Him, and you've been resurrected to new life, he says this will enable you to live the correct way. And so he says, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin. Uh, in fact, three times in chapter 6, Paul has mentioned this knowledge in uh, 6.3, or do you not know, verse number 6, knowing this, verse number 9, knowing that Christ, so knowing who we are in Christ, our identity, okay, is the foundation for how we are to live in Christ. Um, so he wants us to know that this is a reality, this is a fact. Now take a look at that word, so. Paul is summing up everything so that we are to know, and he says, because you know these things, just as Christ died definitively and finally to sin, so you should count yourselves in him to be done with sin. Do you? Are you done with sin? Or do you still like it? Do you still want it? Is it that whole thing of, well, you know, that's just the way I am, Mike. That's just the way, that, that's just my person, that's just who I am. Are you really? Because in Christ, you've been a, made into a new creature in Christ Jesus. Are you done with sin? Just as Christ has risen from the dead and now lives in God's presence far removed from sin, so should you live in Him, since in the future you will live with forever with Him. Do you? Do you consider that a truthful reality in your life? Do you live that way? Take a look at that word consider. This is an interesting one to note. This word is in the present tense and means keep on counting it to be true. You don't count it to be true because you feel dead to sin and alive to God, but rather because God says that it is true. And the truest thing about you is not what you feel, but what God declares to be true. Victory over sin begins with your mind how you think. And so he says, consider it, consider it. Keep thinking that way. So when you're in, in placed in the hour of temptation 
And there's that temptation to go back to the old way of living, to go back to a, a sinful pattern. He says, consider it. Consider it. Think about it. Get your mind thinking the right way. Now, Paul's not giving us some kind of really goofy, weird stuff here, like uh, the power of positive thinking, like, okay, uh, if I just think of my life in the end zone, it's going to happen, okay? He's not saying that. He's not saying, boy, if you think like a millionaire, you're going to be a millionaire. No, okay? He's not giving us any of this kind of weird garbage, okay? He's saying this is true. It's true. Your life has been crucified with Christ. Sin, the body of sin, should be brought to nothing, and you've been resurrected with him. This is true. So live that way, because it's a reality in your life already. Don't live the old way. And so that's Paul's whole point there. Live the way that he has called you to live. And so if we want to be godly and overcome sin, rule-keeping is not the way to that. That's what those false teachers were promoting in uh, Colossae there, the church there. They were saying, if you do the A, B, C, D approach to God, he says that's going to help you become godly and uh, you'll be able to keep the flesh in check. Paul says, no, if with Christ you have died. Consider the implications of what that means. Well, that's our family talk. Okay? Let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.